Hi, welcome to episode seven of Blind Fly Theater. Uh, this is your host, um, uh, David Laurel Hoskins, and today I, I have a real treat for you. What are you doing here? What's up with this? With what? Don't play dumb with me. Though that's not a stretch for you, is it? Look, it's been a while since I've produced a show. A while? Why don't you try seven months, huh? <sighs> I know, but... But what, butt monkey? Well, there's no need to be rude. Uh-huh. What? Do you know how short a fly's lifespan is? Well, I... Well, I nothing. If it weren't for all the preservatives packed in your crummy snack bar food, I'd have been dust by now. Don't you complain I'll about I'll complain all I want. I deserve a lot more respect around here. Well, all you do is leech free shows and, and lobby treats. What? That's right. And you invite all your friends to indulge, what too. What about all of the production work I do around here? Well, maybe. Well, maybe what? You do do some. <laughs> what? <laughs> you said do-do. D- uh, don't be so crass. I could go for some right now. Some what? Nothing. Oh, stop it, will you? Come on, let's get on with the show. Okay, I suppose we should. What's up next? A commercial. Yes, I, I know we have to pay the bills around here. What's this commercial for? You'll see, or you'll hear. Roll it, Nefertiti. Blind fly cookies. Blind fly cookies. In our theater is a cookie fly. Well, all I do is make them as good as I try. What is your secret, Mr. Blind Fly Man? I sample them, ladies, one from each pan. Children start shoving. There's more in the oven. Hey, Mom! You put Blind Fly Theater on your shopping list. Oatmeal, chocolate, and sugar mist. Check out the goodies on your podcast shelf. But hurry up, I might just keep them all to myself. Blind Fly Cookies. Blind Fly Cookies. Blind Fly Cookies are the official cookie of Blind Fly Theater. And as such, you are required to eat this brand and only this brand of cookie while listening to the Blind Fly Theater podcast. So mom, dad, whatever, go get a pack or two or three. Blind Fly Cookies make you satisfied. New cellophane package, you can see what's inside. What makes them taste so good, Blind Fly Man? I leave a little something on each cookie I land. You leave a little something on every cookie you land. Nice. Glad you approved, Davey. You're going to put us out of business. What? It's bad enough you soil our food. Now you advertise that you do it. No, I, I, I leave cinnamon. I leave a little cinnamon. I'm cinnamon boy. Yeah, right. Aw, oh, come on, man. Lighten up. All right, let's just get to our first act for the night. Yeah, what you got for us, Davey? Call me Dave, okay? No prop, player. I'd be done with uh, that. I'm just saying. Anyway, our first piece is about someone who's lost something. It's his marbles, right? Just sit there on the wall and listen, okay? Cute tagline, by the way. Well, thank you. Blind line feet. Talk much? Blind Fly Theater presents... By the End of the Day. Come on, boys. Let's get the good seats. At the end of the day, you got a dog. I'd entered the queue line at 59th Street, headed to 42nd. It should have taken no more than six, maybe seven minutes to arrive. But my watch shows we've been traveling at top speed for almost 15. We haven't even so much as passed a stop. I'm a little concerned. Hello? Hello, is there anyone in there? I get no response at the subway conductor's door. I try to see through the dark-tinted glass. The tunnel ahead is illuminated by a powerful headlight, but the silhouette in the cabin, it's vague. Maybe a person, 
maybe just the back of the control chair. I pat myself down and find my phone, but there's no signal. I feel nauseous and unsteady, so I sit down, and my reflection in the opposite window startles me. My face is pasty white. The screeching of the wheel seems to turn to something else, something sinister. Everything turns a grainy pale blue, and I think maybe I pass out. The next thing I know, I'm standing in the last rail car. It's empty except for a very thin old man at the very back, and I watch his reflection in a window. I see him turn his head towards me, and then swivel to meet my stare in the window reflection. I quickly turn away. When I turn back, he's looking at me and pointing through the rear window. He turns, presses his face against it, and stares out into the blackness. I think I hear him say something. It's more of a whisper. Or a scream. I'm feeling chilled and a little more than creeped out, and I'm startled by a flickering of the overhead lights. Then they go completely out. Now it's pitch black in here too, except for an occasional flash of dim light from the rail sparks. The lights flicker back on again, but I'm no longer on the train. I'm standing at a terminal. I'm feeling very cold, very confused, and for such a large man, extremely frightened. I run up the steps towards the exit, taking them two at a time. I can see daylight at the top of the tunnel and the movement of a bustling crowd. I step out into the sunlight. There are lots of business people out on their lunch breaks. I close my eyes and lift my face to soak in the warmth of the sun, and the chill starts to subside, for a moment anyway. I open my eyes again and look around the buildings. None of them look familiar, and I glance back at the subway entrance for a location marker, but there is no sign. In fact, the stairwell I just come up is closed behind a padlocked gate. I look back down into the tunnel, it's dark. As my eyes adjust, I think I see a figure at the bottom of the steps. The cold and fear begin to fill me again as I squint and recognize the outlines. It's the old man. I can barely see his very, very thin figure. I'm paralyzed with fear and then my stomach sinks. I struggle against the fear and slowly step backwards. I bump into a woman spilling her coffee. She looks disgusted and says something, but I can't hear her. I can't hear anything but the screeching and screaming of that subway line. Against my fear, I turn and flee. I look down at my feet and notice my footsteps are out of sync with the sound of them. I make it to the street and turn up the sidewalk following a long row of unfamiliar high-rises. As I make my way past them, I notice their entrances all appear to look the same. It feels like I'm walking in a loop past the same alcove over and over again.
I finally come to something different. Something that looks like home. An entrance that looks familiar. I run in, past an empty lobby to a double bank of elevators. One is already open and waiting. So I enter and press the top button to the 71st floor. I desperately need to get as far away from the ground in that horrible sound as possible. It fades away, and though I'm still afraid of where I am and what is happening to me, my nerves begin to calm and I start to relax. I reach into my pocket and pull out my phone again. Still no signal. I tap the screen and open the GPS. The blue dot locates me. It has me off the coast about a hundred yards. What an expensive piece of crap, I think. Right when I need it most. The elevator slows to a stop and the strong sound of whipping wind startles me. I step out into an observation deck. It's a small round room with walls of thick crystal clear glass and a 360 degree view of the city. I walk across a gold area rug past some furniture and look through a glass door. Out there is an exterior deck. It extends and narrows into the distance. It comes to a rounded point about a hundred feet out and appears to bow upward a bit at the very end. It points directly out over the Atlantic Ocean, appearing to hover over it. Jetting up from the end is a tall flagpole. I have to bend sideways and crane my neck to see the top. Flying there are two flags, one American, one Canadian. They're flapping really hard and I imagine loud cracking and popping sounds, but the roar of the wind drowns them out. I suddenly feel dizzy and lose my balance. I stumble a few steps to a large overstuffed chair and collapse into it. I sink deep into its cushioning, immediately enveloped in its soft warmth. There's a hint of mothball smell, and it's strangely comforting. I stare back out at that deck. Who in their right mind would step through that door? Those are some hurricane-force winds, and those railings, what a laugh! They're only about four feet high, with two thin cables threaded through some ridiculously flimsy-looking stanchions. What the F? It must be at least a thousand foot drop from there. My focus floats back to the horizon. It's a very bright sunny day in New York, but its blinding reflection off the deck in that white flagpole is in stark contrast to the dark bluish gray backdrop. There's a massive storm covering the ocean. I relax and sink even further into the chair. I feel secure, cradled. My eyelids become very heavy. 
My phone falls from my hand and bounces to the floor. It lands face up. I can clearly see its display. It has a strong signal. I want to pick it up, but I, I just feel so heavy. My eyes close and I begin to fall and float down and down into a deep, dark sleep. It's a sultry summer night, and the smell of funnel cake slides thick in the air. I'm walking through the crowd at Coney Island, feeling uneasy and clueless. I pass a vendor serving up cotton candy to a young boy. He looks at me with a knowing grin, waits a beat, and then rolls his eyes before looking away. A little girl in a polka dot dress points towards the dark horizon. I focus out beyond the park, over the vast ocean, and see tiny flashes of light in the distant clouds. The storm is still waiting. A security guard shines his flashlight onto a loudspeaker perched high atop a circus tent. It's the voice of my Aunt June, French-Canadian native of Montreal who died when I was only 13. Her poetic charm and philosophy of life live on within me today. She had a saying in French that life was merely a dream within a dream. I smile and roll my own eyes. Of course, I'm dreaming. I've been hired to find Laurent Sebastian, a retired rail worker missing since last fall. The answer is out here, on the boardwalk. I take but a few steps more before I see him. It's the old man from the subway station, only this time he's not so creepy. He's Mr. Sebastian, kneeling now. He looks up at me and points down through the cracks of the boardwalk. He lays both hands flat on the deck and brings his eye close, peering down to the sand below. I feel a tug on my left hand. It's the girl in the polka dot dress. She looks up at me smiling such a sweet smile and I know she is thanking me. She releases my hand and takes the hand of Mr. Sebastian. He lifts himself to his feet. He waves as they both turn, walking hand in hand and disappearing into the darkness. I look down at the place where he pointed. I'm feeling nauseous and my head begins to pound. I lower myself to the deck, lie on my back and close my eyes. I'm hoping the fresh air and sound of the surf will soothe me, but both weaken and begin to fade, slowly replaced by the sickening smell of antiseptic and an incessant deafening beep.
I open my eyes and squeeze my face into a squint, bright fluorescence piercing my skull. I raise a hand to my head, lightly touch a thick bandage, and quickly retract in pain. I scan the room. I'm on a gurney in the ER. I see my brother in the doorway. He notices me with a surprised look and comes over. I ask him what happened. He asked me if I remembered anything and I told him to clue me in. He said it happened in the home of Sid and Cindy Petros. I recall Cindy as Laurent Sebastian's daughter. He was living with she and her husband before his disappearance two months ago. The trail had gone cold and they were frustrated with the lack of help from police. I was being escorted around their home trying to get reads off of Sebastian's belongings. The last thing I remember is picking up a framed photo. It was a black and white taken several decades before. It was of Cindy as a child in a polka dot dress. She was sitting with her young father on a bench at Coney Island. Apparently that's the moment I passed out. My brother said I had stiffened straight as a board and fell backwards like a chopped tree, my head cracking hard on an end table. I reached into my pocket and pulled out my phone. I needed to call Detective Pete at the 28th precinct, but my battery was dead. I swung my feet to the floor and pulled the IV from my arm. I was surprised at just how easy it was to walk out. Though Detective Pete had his reservations, he devoted some manpower to the investigation and Laurent Sebastian's remains were found there under the boardwalk, within ten feet of my mark. Wedged conveniently in a bony mass behind his ear was a slug. I didn't see that coming, but then again I was put at a physical disadvantage. Cindy didn't have a chance to tell me about her father's gambling problem. Detectives had already done the footwork on that angle and though they'd not had any evidence, they had their suspects. It came down to Willis Knightbridge, a petty thug recruited by some of the lower echelon members of the underworld. Seems a guy named Pico had a hammer over Sebastian's head for about 30 grand in gambling debt, and Sebastian figured he'd shout off about how Pico could eat the loss because he didn't have the guts to come after anyone. You know how Pico paid Nightbridge? With a case of hot vodka. And not some good stuff. Just six plastic jugs of no-name crap. When NYPD busted in, 
Nightbridge had in his possession a Saturday night special matching ballistics and five and a half gallons of generic, essentially making two quarts of the swill his payment for life. But I, on the other hand, made out quite well, and for a lot more love than Nightbridge got. In addition to the 12 grand from the Petros, there was another five from the local 100, Sebastian's Transit Workers Union. The union tried to weasel out of the reward, calling me a whack job opportunist, going so far as to reference my drumming out of the force on a psych order. 17 grand for a day's work is not bad, even with a cracked skull and a muddied reputation. Oh, hi. Hey, come out onto the balcony. Yeah, nice view, huh? You're not afraid of heights, are you? 44th floor, 5th Avenue, overlooking Central Park. Wouldn't be able to afford that on a uh, cop salary, huh? Let me pour you a drink here. Hey, listen, um... You know me, Tr Theo Truvera, right? Hey, listen. Could you tell Dave that this segment of the Blind Flight Theater is the best? Yeah. Oh, that's probably him now. Could you hit the speaker button for me? Hello. Hi, Theo. Great episode. Thanks. Heard you got something to say. Yes, I do. Yeah, go ahead. Cheers. Okay, thanks. I'd like to thank our contributors. Let's start by thanking Radiolab for the format of these credits. Some say Jad Abumrad rips off Ira Glass. I don't believe it for a minute, Jad, but that won't stop me from ripping you off. And yes, you too, Robert. Next is the song we're listening to right now. It's the Spirit of Lights version of Roundabout Midnight, downloaded from SoundCloud.com. Thanks, Jack, for coming on as a ghostwriter, however moody you may be. Thanks to the fly. I know I give you a lot of flack, but come on, you deserve it, right? Thanks to Freesound.org and to the particular Freesound contributors listed here. Martian, Junior Sandoval, Cognito Percepto, S.D. Falk, Walter Odington, Darren, 1979, Tech Studios, Freak Anonymous, C9705980, Matt J, Mr. Mayo, ERH, Dalibor, Robin Hood 76, William Gaylord, Geleku, Luftrum, Acclivity, No Feedback, Freakman, Javaka, Psychotic God, Mr. Rolfi, Noise Collector, Ubik, Sage Turtle, Henry the Dentist, and DJ Cronus. Thanks, Tweets, for all those sounds. We commandeered the vintage Patty Cake Cookies radio commercial song. Thanks to SoundCloud.com, Blue Microphone's Blue Yeti THX certified mic, the Zoom Handy Recorder H2, my fantabulous laptop. Is it a MacBook Pro? Let's see. No, just a real kicking powerful 8 gigabytes of RAM Toshiba satellite with a lighted keyboard, thank you. And of course, to Audacity, fantastically free open source audio editor, you. Oh boy. Uh, sorry I cut him off. I was getting kind of tired of hearing him. Listen, visit blindflytheater.com. He wants to make it into a community theater the kind of thing, I don't know, where you can participate. All right? All right. Have a good one. This is Theo Trouvert saying bye for Dave and Fly. Have a good week. We'll see you next Saturday. Good night.